As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles and open them up with me, we're going to be in the book of Genesis today, Genesis chapter 17 and then 18, and then we'll eventually go over to Luke chapter 1. I, I remember whenever I was at Keller Middle School, we had career day, and they were bringing in all these different career options for us to try to help us figure out what we wanted to be whenever we grow up. And I remember my teacher, she, she was well-meaning, I think. She said something to us along the lines of, you guys can be anything you want to be. you got your whole world and the whole life in front of you. Anything's possible for you. And I remember thinking to myself, really? Is that, is that true? Uh, because in, in middle school, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. And I shot a lot of baskets in my backyard, and, you know, I, I worked out, and I thought, one of these days I'm going to be in the NBA, but it just didn't happen, you know. I mean, I was too, too short, too slow, and couldn't make enough jump shots, and so that's not really possible for me because it's not within God's divine design for me. My daughter, Karis, uh, turns nine today, uh, and so can't believe it that she's already nine years of age. She's really the best theologian in the family. And if you're her Sunday school teacher, I apologize because she can keep you on your toes uh, with questions. But the other day we were driving, driving down the street and she just blurts out, nothing is impossible. And so that got my attention because I knew I was going to be preaching on this. And then she said, that's not true. She said, Nothing's imp- a lot of things are impossible with mankind. I remember thinking, when did you learn the word mankind? But she continued and she said, but nothing's impossible with God. I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm doing something right. I, I, you know, I've done a lot of things wrong, but I'm doing something right with this girl. I met a new friend on Thursday night. His name is Orville, and Orville is 99 years old. Fascinating man. And so we were getting to know each other, and he asked me, he said, well, Ash, do you have children? I said, yes, I have four children. I said, Orville, do you have any children? And he said, yes, I, I have some children. And uh, so I asked him, I said, well, Orville, are you planning on having any more kids? <laughs> and he, he responded exactly the way you did. I mean, no, I'm 99 years old. I'm not planning on having any more children because there's a simple fact, and that is that people in their 90s don't have kids, right? You don't, you don't start a family in your 90s. Well, meet Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarai is 90 years of age. They've been married for many, 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 many years. They have walked hand in hand together through life's ups and downs. They have seen a lot. They've been through a lot. And their love has prevailed. Nevertheless, there's one thing that has been a dark cloud over them. Both of them wanted children, and they haven't been able to have kids. Within that society, it was considered to be a punishment from the gods or from God if you didn't have children. And so this had been a very, very difficult thing for both Abraham and Sarah, Sarai not to have children. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 15, God comes to Abraham and he says, As for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. Now, this is interesting in and of itself because in Hebrew day, in Hebrew culture, they often named you based upon various characteristics about your personality or your person. 
And so Sarai, within Hebrew etymology, means something along the lines of contentious. She was perhaps a little bit irritable, perhaps a little bit difficult to live with at times. And so she was called Sarai because she carried with her a contentious spirit. But God says to Abraham, do not call her Sarai anymore because her name's Sarah. And Sarah means princess. You see, God had great plans for her. From her would produce, would come a great nation. And so in verse 16, the Bible says, I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. So Abraham falls face down, and then he laughs. (laughs) And he says to himself, can a child be born of a hundred-year-old man? And can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? You see, one of the problems is is that Abraham and Sarah had heard this before. 24 years earlier, in Genesis chapter 15, God had come to Abraham and he had told him that he was going to have a son and that this son would be the, the, the seed that would eventually lead to great nations and that all the world would be blessed through Abraham. That's why we call Abraham Father Abraham. And God had made this promise to Abraham 24 years earlier. And I can imagine Abraham coming home, telling Sarah about it and how excited he was that God had come to him and said, we're going to have a child. And then month by month went by. And every month they were met with renewed disappointment. It wasn't happening. Many of you know that in our story, for Stacy and me, we, we prayed for a decade for kids. We asked God, Lord, would you please bless us with children? And during that decade, I'll confess to you, it was hard. And a lot of times people, people mean well. But a lot of times whenever you're going through uh, a battle with infertility, people will say, hurtful things and not even realize that they're they're doing it and you really don't fit in very well with with the people your age because most of them are like obsessed with their kids and and you don't have them you're talking about your dogs you know it's kind of just kind of awkward and so Sarah and Abram went through this in fact they wanted a child so badly that Sarah got a, a bad idea in that culture people often married more than one wife and She convinced Abraham, why don't you go ahead and marry Hagar, who was her handmaid? And so he did, and he had a child with Hagar named Ishmael, and that didn't go well at all. In fact, it just created more contentiousness within the home and just uh, magnified all the problems. And so eventually they had reached this stage where they'd just given up. And they had just embraced the reality that this is life, and we'll just keep going through it together. We go over to chapter 18 in verse 1, and the Bible says, The Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. So this is siesta time. In ancient cultures, they would get up early, they would work hard, and then in the heat of the day, they would take a break. So Abraham is sitting at the entrance to his tent, maybe even a little bit uh, sleepy, and he looks... And he sees three men standing near him. Now, if you're sitting there and you have three men walk up to the entrance of your tent, 
Abraham's initial reaction is a bit of surprise, and then he has shock because he realizes that one of these individuals is a very special person. So the Bible says when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed to the ground, and then he said, My Lord, El Adonai, Sovereign God. You see, Abraham was in the presence of what we call theologically the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. You ever bought a gift for Christmas and gave it to somebody and realized, that didn't really work too well. It was kind of a misgiving. I didn't really match the gift with the person too well. A few years ago in my extended family's Christmas unwrappings, my dad received a purse. (laughs) It was accidentally had his name on it by accident. It wasn't really his gift. It was a Christmas misgiving. Well, there's a lot of theological misgivings that people have. And at Christmas time, probably the number one theological misgiving that I hear is that Jesus came into existence at Bethlehem. No, the Bible teaches that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always been, they are, and they always will be. At Christmas time, Jesus came and dwelt in flesh. He took on human flesh, but God the Son has always been there from the beginning of time and from the beginning of, I guess there is no beginning of eternity. He always is. Now, what this means is that the birth of Jesus was not an accident. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't just a historical event. The I am of the universe, the one who has always been, made choices. Number one, he made a choice to create. Number two, he made a choice to redeem. And to redeem, he intervened. The fracture of sin had broken the peace of creation, so God broke the chaos of sin with the peace of himself. And when we celebrate Christmas, We join ourselves to a story of eternity. We join ourselves to the story of God that transcends from Genesis to Revelation, the story of who God is and how He has revealed Himself to us and redeemed us through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might bring glory to Him today and forevermore. And so Abraham recognizes these three men that have come to visit me. They are not any ordinary men. In fact, two of them are are angels, and one of them is the Lord, God the Son, and he immediately gets up and he falls before him, El Adonai, and Abraham worships, and then he acts, a good model for us. Our worship should always lead to action, but Abraham worships and then he acts. He goes and he prepares a great meal. I think Abraham would have made a good Texan. Because when Texans don't know what to say, we cook. And so Abraham didn't know exactly what to do here. The Lord's visiting him, and so he says, I'm, I'm going to make a great meal. You guys stay for, di- for dinner and let, lunch, and let's eat. And so he gets a, a young calf, and he prepares this fantastic meal for everybody. And so they're eating, enjoying the meal together. And then the Lord looks at Abraham, and in verse 9 he says, Where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, Abraham answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah 
will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. So Sarah's kind of eavesdropping a little bit. She's kind of overhearing this entire conversation, and she hears her name probably. (laughs) And then she hears she's going to have a baby in about a year's time. Notice Jesus didn't give specifics, so if you're ever wondering exactly when your baby's going to be born, Jesus didn't know exactly the day, but it's going to be somewhere in there, okay? About a year's time. And Sarah's listening to all this. Verse 11 says, Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years, and she had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. After I've become a shriveled up, after I become shriveled up and my Lord is old, Will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby whenever I'm old? And then notice verse 14. Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. She said, I did not laugh. She said this because she was afraid. But he replied to her, no, you did laugh. It's always bad whenever God calls you out, right? So, yeah, no, you don't lie to me. You did laugh, okay? Now, the big theological question here is asked by the Lord. Make sure you don't miss it. Jesus asked this question, is anything impossible with God? Now, our gut reaction is to say, no, nothing's impossible with God. He's after he's God. He created everything. He's God. Nothing's impossible with him. But then for many of us, there's a more quiet, behind-the-scenes, eavesdropping Sarah reaction. A laugh, a cynicism that says, no, you know, I've been asking God to do this for years, and he hasn't done it. I've wanted a child 20-plus years ago. God said you're going to have a child, and it hasn't. Okay, nothing's impossible with God, but for some reason, what I want from God just doesn't seem possible. And many times we laugh that quiet Sarah laugh. Faith is a requirement in Christianity, specifically the faith that says I'm I'm not God, and I'm going to trust in God to be God. And so in Christianity, we live a life of faith. We sometimes call it the journey of faith. And in this journey, we lift up our prayer request to God. Sometimes whenever we pray for something, God says, no, that's not my will. I remember whenever I was dating Stacy, hundreds of times she came to God and said, God, will you take this guy away from me? Just have him leave. And God kept telling her, no, no, no. Till finally she succumbed to the Lord's will and married me. So sometimes God does tell us no. And I, I realize I say that in jest, but I realize sometimes when God tells us no, it stings. Sometimes God says, wait. Notice that the Lord said to Sarah, at the appointed time, I will come back to you. So sometimes God says, okay, but not now. And then sometimes God says, Yes. Sometimes whenever God gives us a yes, he intervenes in a supernatural way. By the way, for you to believe in God, you need to believe in the supernatural because God is beyond nature. He is God. And so sometimes God 
intervenes in a supernatural way. And when he does, you better pay attention because I believe that God doesn't just do miracles for the sake of miracles. That whenever God does a miracle, there's something that he's trying to teach or do behind it. And we better pay attention. Sometimes God also answers our prayer through natural means. You pray for healing and God brings wonderful physicians and nurses into your life that are able to help you and you're able to find healing. But understand this, our job is not to tell God what to do. Our job is to trust God. I remember whenever I was 19 years old, I became a a student minister. And at 19 years old, I was called called to ministry, and I had a lot of zeal. I had big dreams, and I had this belief. I had this belief that it can happen. I had this belief that nothing's impossible with God, that God can do anything, that God can do things that causes our jaw to drop in amazement and us to say, I stand in the presence of God. I had no clue what I was doing. I was in way over my head, but I had a lot of faith in God to bail me out and a zeal. I often say God protects the young and the dumb. And I was both young and dumb. (laughs) But I had zeal, and I I had a belief, and I had a just an innocent understanding that it can happen. And it's easy over the course of life to move from it can happen to it'll never happen. It's really easy to get cynical and critical. It's really easy to stop believing. Nothing is impossible with God. It can happen. And what is tragic is that whenever you stop believing all things are possible with God, you quit living and you just start existing. Back to my friend Orville. He told me at 97, he bought himself a red Camaro. I said, Orville? Why did you need to buy a Camaro at 97? He said, I wanted everybody to know I'm still alive. I like that guy. i got to get to know him a little bit better. Well, guess what? God proved that indeed all things are possible. And Sarah got pregnant. And at 91, she had a son. Sarah's child was to be a testimony to the power of God, and she named him Isaac, which if you break it down, means delight and laughter. And so in Genesis chapter 21, uh, at the birth of Isaac, verse 6, Sarah says, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. This is Isaac. He is a testimony that God is greater than the cynicism of my laughter that it can happen. Now, looking forward, centuries later, there's a young girl by the name of Mary living in a small town, one camel, dusty town known as Nazareth. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting 
this could be. Now we have here Sarah and Mary, and they are at opposite sides of life's spectrum. Yet both Sarah and Mary were visited by angels. Jesus told Sarah, you're going to have a baby, supernaturally. The angel told Mary she was going to have Jesus. Sarah questioned, can I really have a baby whenever I am old? Mary questioned, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? Sarah's baby would become a great nation, Israel, and that nation would ultimately bless the world. Mary's baby was ultimately born from Isaac's nation, and he would die for the sins of the world and then overcome death so that all nations might be redeemed for the glory of God. Sarah's baby was a miracle baby. God was going to use him and his offspring to point the way. Mary's baby, too, was a miracle baby, but he was the way. He was the truth, and he is the life. Jesus asked Sarah, is anything impossible with the Lord? And the angel assured Mary in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Sarah, looking back at what she had been through, laughed at the idea. But then, looking forward, after God had blessed her with the miracle, she named her son Laughter, and he became a testimony to future generations that nothing is impossible with God. Mary, looking back, was able to see a great woman of the faith like Sarah, who pushed through her fears and believed. And so Mary, too, was able to push through her doubts and fears and remember Nothing's impossible with the Lord. In verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, after receiving the news from the angel that she was going to give birth to the Lord, Mary says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. So I was putting these stories together. And my prayer for you, I always try to have a simple prayer for every sermon that I preach. And my prayer for you today is that you'll never Quit believing that it can happen. You see, I realize this. I realize that in the room there are some that have questions, some that have doubts. For some of us, we just have fatigue because life has a way of just draining you of energy. And so you get tired. And it's easy to embrace the laughter of cynicism to embrace and wear the fear of the unknown and to begin thinking it's not going to happen. Not everything's possible for God. Not going to happen. And it's really easy to quit living and just start existing. You live your life in quiet desperation one day after another and you're just existing. You see, sometimes you need to buy the red Camaro. Sometimes you need to once again embrace the faith of your youth. And you need to realize it can happen. Sometimes you have to go back to this simple idea, nothing is impossible with God. 
and you look back at Sarah and you look back at Mary and as you celebrate Christmas, you once again remember nothing is impossible with God. It's one of the great themes of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus once again said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. I think of the great evangelistic verse, John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world in this way that He gave His one and only Son that whoever... Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 begins with an impossibility. It says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What that means is you have no future beyond this world. You have a sentence with death, both physical and spiritual, because of your sins and your trespasses. Proverbially, Proverbially, you're a dead man walking. Nothing you can do about it. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. But God, verse 4 says, God intervenes into the scene so that we might be redeemed. And the Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace Your salvation alone is a testimony to the fact that nothing is impossible for God. We come to Romans chapter 8. We see perhaps the tallest mountain of theology in all of Scripture. And as we traverse up that mountain, we reach the pinnacle. And in verse 31, the Bible says, Well, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, Who is against us? And then in verse 37, Paul writes, No, in all these things we are more than victorious through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have, catch this, the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Don't ever quit believing a simple truth that all things are possible with God. It can happen. Some of you here today, you may have never taken that initial step of faith. There's never been that time in your life where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him as Savior and Lord. And today, I, I want to invite you to take that step, to make this your moment, your moment when you become a believer in Christ, and you believe, and you come alive, and you quit just existing. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads? with our heads bowed and respecting the sacredness of this moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your abundant love, that you are rich in mercy, and that even while we were dead in trespasses and sins, you made us alive in Christ. And Father, we thank you that indeed nothing is impossible with you. Lord, I am mindful that there 
are some here that are discouraged, some that may have quit living and are just existing. And I pray that we will once again remember that it can happen. And may we place our faith in you anew today. And Father, I realize that there might be someone here today that has never taken that initial step of faith and become a Christian. And so, Lord, right now, I invite them to pray after me. And right where you're sitting, would you just repeat this prayer? Heavenly Father, I need your forgiveness because I am imperfect. I have sinned. And so I trust in Jesus Christ. I believe in Him as my Savior who died on the cross for me. And I place my faith totally in Christ. And I ask that You will change me from the inside out so that I can live the life that You have called me to. Be the person that You desire me to be. And through Your help, Lord, I ask that my life might be a testimony to you. Pray that prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Today is your day of salvation. I would love to be a pastor to you and encourage you. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. And I'd love to help you. I'd love to baptize you. I'd love to teach you about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together as we worship, church.